the Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Wednesday morning, the 13th of February. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The cost of the National Children's Hospital and the consequence of a 450 million euro overrun dominated doll business yesterday. It will again today when Simon Harris faces questions from opposition TDs. Yesterday, the minister made a very brief statement to the House in which he apologised for not giving more detail to TDs about the ultimate cost of the hospital. The minister apologised for saying the project was on track when he knew that the costs had yet to be finalised. The minister did not apologise for forgetting to mention that he knew last September that the cost would be at least €191 million over budget and he had been advised that the hospital could be €391 million over budget. Now with an overrun of €450 million savings must be made. €100 million in savings this year. The largest savings will come from the cancellation of the A5 Dublin to Derry Road uh, that's 27 million euro whilst that is put on hold the National Forensic Science Laboratory will see delayed payments which will result in 10 million euro being saved. 10 million is to be saved from the Department of Education's budget to build a school at the National Children's Hospital there is also to be 3 million euro uh, which uh, will be delayed in payments for flood relief schemes uh, and some of of the savings are unclear. €24 million is to be saved by the Health Department in delivering some smaller capital work such as repairs and replacements over a longer period of time, uh, according to a spokesperson for the Minister. But it had been thought that the Health Department would have to save €50 million in all. Let's uh, talk about this with Louth TD, Imelda Munster, who's Sinn Féin's spokesperson on transport. Good morning to you, Imelda. Thanks uh, for joining us here this morning, you're particularly concerned at the cut to the transport budget and uh, the uh, idea of uh, delaying uh, this A5 project, the Dublin to Derry Road via Letter Kenny. Yes, well, I had <coughs> read the report on Monday um, about the cuts, you know, and the, that transport, the Department of Transport had been targeted for 30 million in cuts. So I'd asked the minister to clarify, <coughs> excuse me, to clarify, was this correct? But anyway, the Taoiseach stood up in the doll yesterday at leaders' questions and he confirmed that £27 million of this cut uh, would be the, the A5. Um, and, you know, at, at a time we're facing into Brexit, you know, it's capital investment that we need to focus on, you know, six weeks out from uh, a possible no deal. And it's kind of counterproductive uh, to any con- contingency plans that a government might have. You know, we're all aware of the... <coughs> You have the the east, the east corridor, you know, but the the Dublin say to Derry, Donegal, that's the, that's the corridor, which was lacking in you know both roads and transport infrastructure and needs investment most. So it was um, desperate for them to 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 cut it. Are, are there any options? I mean, I'm sure you accept that if uh, the hospital is to be built, savings on this scale have to be found. Look, there's no there's no accounting for such a negligent, and that's the word I would use to describe it, a negligent overrun of almost half a billion. 
I mean, there's not another country in the world, you know, that w- the minister wouldn't be gone overnight because of something like this and the the effects and the you know that we'll have to suffer. Taxpayers will have to suffer because of it. And the government are putting out their spin. They're saying a hundred million in savings. They're cuts, pure and simple, you know. And they've had the the A5. The funding for that was pulled because of the um, they literally had to scramble to figure out what way they were going to, you know, where they were going mm. to cut. And I know you read out the list of uh, the, the things they said, but the most interesting um, thing about what they said under health, you know, delivery of smaller um, smaller capital works, mm. they said, yeah. Now, a prime example is, of that would be Our Lady of Lords, the second X-ray room, and I had raised that last November, um, October, November. There was plans for the for the second exo room for the extension of Our Lady of Lords and they at the time had been costed and included in the tender. And then staff were suddenly told that they they dropped them at the eleventh hour. Now when you look back at that time we didn't know of the overspend. But when you look back now, that's the t- you know, it was dur- during that time that the government had known well in advance, but they started making their sneaky cuts. So what, 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 whatever hope then, and there was no hope, uh, there is absolutely no hope now, but you do accept that cuts need to be made now in order to make up the shortfall and that if this hospital is going to be realised, that cuts on this scale are necessary. Well, the cuts that the government are bringing in is because of their overspend. And it comes back to accountability and oversight, plain and simple. As I said, no, no other country would you see this sort of thing. A minister would be held responsible straight away and he'd be gone. He'd be told, pack his bags, you're gone. Like, it's, it's too serious an issue to brush under the carpet, a too serious an issue to accept a meek apology. It's just, it's just not good enough. Like, this, it's just not good enough. And these cuts, it's the taxpayer that suffers because of their negligence. And, you know, you could never say that these cuts are acceptable. You know, for years we knew that Our Lady of Lords was, you know, not, couldn't cope with the capacity. The, the x-ray um, that they have, they've only the one x-ray, the x-ray that they have was mm. in a full capacity, even beyond, and the equipment was 10 years old. It was, it was obsolete, obsolete, like, you mm. know. And another thing from questions, I you, found you, out, it had the highest number of... Uh, radiological examinations in in 2017 so it's the only major country and i remember our okay so so, so that so you're you're not concerned about the a5 i am of course all I'm right okay because that's a separate issue that you're talking about yeah but i'm saying this about. we're talking if we're talking about the the hundred million in the cuts i'm outlining well, that has nothing to do with what you're talking about well it has because no it hasn't it, it was no excuse me it happened the Staff were told in the hospital in October, November, that despite the fact that it had been costed and tendered, it was it was now being dropped. And it was from August onwards that the minister was aware that there was going to be this overspend. So, in my opinion, sneakily, and it, it, when I saw what it said then, delivery oh, no, of smaller into... capital works, they started... Okay, right. you're, 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 you're really into conspiracy stuff. Oh, no, I ah, conspiracy. Yeah, are, for God's sake. Started, no, they started chipping away ah, because yeah. they were no, afraid that's... if they pulled a major 
Sure, Pascal, project, a pa- major ca- capital we're, we're being told Pascal Donoghue didn't even know about the overspend let alone the government or the Department of Health that the Minister uh, hadn't finalised the figures uh, but these issues were raised with the Taoiseach uh, by Sinn Féin in the Dáil yesterday let's hear, hear what Leo Varadkar had to say in response I'm, I'm heartened uh, by the uh, newfound interest by Sinn Féin and taxpayers' money uh, this is the party that regularly, before budget every year, proposes two to three billion euros in extra taxes uh, to be imposed uh, on, on, on workers and on businesses. Um, an extra 2.3 billion every year, not, four, not 400 million spread over three or four years, an extra 2,000 million every year uh, they want to impose uh, on taxpayers uh, and on businesses in the form of tax increases. Sinn Féin is no friend of the taxpayer. Uh, let nobody in this chamber have any doubt about that. Uh, in my view, Cancorla, accountability is about accepting responsibility for your decisions uh, and your actions, and perhaps in some cases your inactions. And Minister Harris and the government, and I as head of government, uh, accept responsibility for underestimating the cost uh, of this particular project. Accountability isn't about giving in to the baying mob, it isn't about witch hunts, and it isn't about the almost weekly demand for a head, any head, somebody's head. Who's next? That is not accountability, in my view, uh, Count Corla. All right, and it's Simon Harris's head that Sinn Féin wants at uh, the moment, uh, but the Minister, as the Taoiseach said, is taking responsibility for underestimating uh, the cost of this, as is uh, the Taoiseach, and now they're acting in accordance with uh, the overrun and making the necessary cuts. You believe, Imelda Munster, do you not, that the cuts are necessary? The cuts have to happen because of their gross overspend, but that's not to start in no way justified whatsoever. And just listen, I sat there listening to the Taoiseach yesterday and I literally smiled to myself because I said they'd say anything to get themselves out of a hole. They messed up, they're overspend, and now they have to go around scurrying and scrambling to get find a hundred million in cuts. But isn't that what you do when you spend money? No, look. No, but when when you... you, The issue comes down to negligent overspending. Okay, all right. But but the negligent overspending is spending. And when you spend money, you have to find it somewhere, don't you? Yes, when you spend money, you have Mm. to find it somewhere. But the the objective is, the objective is, from the very start, Mm. that there was no one overseeing this project. And even when it came Mm. to the Minister's attention that there was £191 he still didn't see fit to raise it. Okay. Well, you, you people aware of it. You you you've been arguing that the government should give uh, the nurses a 12% pay increase or to give them a 2.5% pay increase is going to cost 35 million euro. Where is the government going to get it? Well, firstly, um the 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 labor court uh, document that the nurses as you know that the hmm. the discussions that went on between the nurses and the labor court um the several different aspects to it. Um, and I don't know whether the nurses are going to endorse it and accept it or not. That's up to, to them. That'll be with the ballot, mm. you know. But as I have said all along, the issue, um, the crisis within nursing was um, is stemmed by the crisis in recruitment and retention. That has been a major factor where you have nurses, newly qualified nurses, getting on the first plane out mm. of here. And unless the government, and it was particular, unless the government addressed these issues, the problem of recruitment and keeping nurses in the system was going to go on indefinitely if they did Okay, but where are you going to get the 35 million, which is 2%, 2.5% increase, you wanted a 12% increase, so where are you going to get the 35 million? Look, 
you come back to where the Taoiseach had said there yesterday about Sinn Féin want to raise taxes. We want to raise the taxes and our budget is all costed on people earning over 100,000 a year. We wanted the government to, to get the tax from Apple that they said, oh no, we don't need when we are starved of resources and infrastructure and there are people, workers like nurses, crying out mm. because they're understaffed, because they're overworked, because they're in stress okay, so conditions. The, you know, so you've budgeted, you've budgeted for 35 million. Have you budgeted for 300 million? If the money could be found mm. to allow for an overspend of 450 million, an overspend over and above. That's not an answer. That's, a, uh, that's no, not no, an answer. It is an answer. It's not, that's saying two wrongs make a right. No, no. It is. You're saying if they can overspend 450 million euro, we can overspend 35 if, million euro. If they can find the money to justify and that's what they're doing. No, but I'm not asking you about them. I'm asking about you, about you and your party. Where will Sinn Féin wanted a 12% increase for the nurses? They're getting a 2.5% increase at 35 million. Where's that going to come from? Who's going to pay the teachers and the guards and uh, the military uh, personnel as well? The nurses, if you look at the nurses' case, as I said, there's, there's particular factor, major factors that was being the crisis in recruitment and retention. And that's actually, and nurses had also said safe staffing was the major issue because Mm. of that. And if you look at, we had got some figures for last year. There were just one short of 500 elderly sick patients that had waited over 24 hours to be seen on trolleys in Our Lady of Lourdes Mm. Hospital. Now, the HSE as a 24-hour target. So that's the type of thing. And Sinn Féin would 100%. So you'll starve the hospital of funding? No, no, we would 100%, 100% back all investment that goes into our public healthcare system. Mm. Not your private healthcare, your public healthcare system. To increasing system. wages, is it? To increasing wages for, to increasing wages for, 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 for teachers, is it? Will you let me finish a sentence? If that means addressing the issues that nurses raised and took strike action over and were literally didn't want to go out and strike, it was mm. the last resort for them, then that has to be done because we're not going to... Well, there was every, very... No, hold on a yeah, second. Every yeah. week in, week out, and you might know this, but I know this from my constituency mm. office, week in, week out, appointments are cancelled, appointments are delayed, can't get appointments, yeah. somebody on a trolley bed, mm. no home support. I do know. No, all of that, mm. all of that. Yeah, now, no, we uh, don't invest, and that includes investing in our nurses. Mm. Because if we don't... I've been sitting here for 15 years highlighting all of those yeah, issues. No, well, I'm saying to you, I know of personal cases every day of the mm. week. So it's a major problem. And Sinn Féin would have no, make no apologies for investing in our public healthcare system. And if that includes addressing the issues that nurses were forced to go out on strike for, then we're happy to do that. Yeah. Because otherwise, our crumbling... Health well, it, 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 it seems as though the government won that dispute. Uh, it's a pretty lousy deal, it would seem, for the nurses. Uh, and it's going to cost €35 million. Euro. It also seems as though it's in breach of the public service pay agreement. Uh, and uh, the teachers and the guards are going to be lining up. And I'm sure some of the soldiers who were sleeping in their cars last night will be scratching their heads saying, well, why can't we have a bit of that as well? Well, that's always the way, isn't it? You know, they will wait as one um, group of workers... If somebody takes strike action, they'll wait to see how they get on. But in relation to, you said the government had won. I don't know if the government had won. I, I hope they haven't. But when the nurses, you know, ballot 
Mm. The nurses are satisfied, then, you know... The nurses were overworked. They're going to work more because productivity is written into this. The nurses were underpaid. They're getting a 2.5% increase, mm-hmm. uh, or at least some of them are. A uh, lo- lot of them aren't. Uh, and uh, some of uh, the younger nurses are going to have to forego a 0.2 increment. Yes, and that's up to the nurses now to decide. That's the recommendations that came back from the Labour Court. A pretty good deal from the government's point of view. Well, we'll, we'll know soon enough if the nurses reject mm. it. And the nurses are saying, no, that's not good enough. But it'll still cost €35 million plus the knock-on claims. Yeah, but sure, I mean, you can't have a problem of recruitment and retention if you don't invest. I mean, it's common sense. And if the nurses decide to accept those recommendations, then the nurses with clearly majority mm. will clearly be happy. I'm sure there's some that won't, but if they decide to reject it... Okay, well, if you, well if, you, if you didn't have to come up with the €35 million, Euro, you'd build the A5. Uh, that's what you're really concerned about, isn't it? Oh, you're talking about two separate... You're talking about the health budget, but the A5, as I said, is a vital, crucial piece of infrastructure, but mm. it's counterproductive. £27 million it'll cost. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, um, and £35 million goes in a pay claim. No, you're conflating the two issues. You're, you're actually the, the health budget and the transport budget are totally separate. Well, they're not no, in the no, sense no, that no. when you overrun the cost of the National Children's Hospital, you take it out of the transport budget, which was your area of concern. Yeah, that's the overrun. Had the costing been done properly, but having said that, that as I said, you know, coming in six weeks away from Brexit, not to be investing in vital infrastructure like that. Is, is absolutely shameful for the government, you know, and it mm. all comes back to the incompetence of the overspend. And the fact, the sickening thing is, the absolutely sickening thing is that even when the minister was made aware of it, he did nothing, and it more than doubled. And what's it the, more than doubled. What's the fundamental question for the minister today? 80 minutes of dull time is to be given over to questions to Simon Harris. What's <laughs> Sinn Féin's key question for him? Well, there be a whole variety of questions, but the lack of accountability for him to accept responsibility to say that he he didn't he neglected his his duty of care as a minister that he should have brought it to the the thing and he takes responsibility for it you know he hasn't an apology is just not good enough and the only way i mean you just couldn't have confidence in, in the minister you just couldn't have it i mean okay. you're not talking about a million or two you're talking about close to half a billion Euro. We'll leave it on that note and uh, I think that's a, a note that will resonate with most people but thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Sinn Féin TD for Loud, uh, Imelda Munzer is our party spokesperson on transport. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now we'll go to our newsroom for a story that's uh, just coming uh, to light and uh, the discovery of uh, some counterfeit clothing in RD. Ruth O'Connell is with us. Uh, Good morning, Ruth. Uh, This is a significant uh, find, in fact. It is half a million euros worth of counterfeit clothing was discovered during a search operation involving the um, members of the RD drugs unit and they were assisted by local units and um, officers from revenue officials basically and they were involved in an operation yesterday afternoon in Bridge Street in RD and they uncovered um, a significant number of boxes of clothing and uh, the branding of the clothes involved, well these would be copies I suppose, um, Adidas, um, Calvin Klein, Hugo Boss and 
Ralph Lauren logos were on the on the clothing. Um, they also recovered some documentation and a large amount of packaging for the resale of the clothing that was seized. Um, no arrests were mm. made and investigations are ongoing. All right, interesting stuff. Uh, and interesting that the drugs unit was uh, involved uh, in uh, the discovery of uh, this clothing uh, and uh, you take it that it's linked to, to suspicious criminality. Uh, you were in court yesterday in Dundalk Circuit Court uh, where a 20-year-old man uh, pleaded guilty to seriously assaulting a 10-week-old baby in March two years ago. What more do we know about this? Because uh, there was serious harm done to this infant. There was, and um, the uh, he, the accused, who was 18 at the time, he's 20 now, and he entered his guilty plea yesterday. He had been due to stand trial, and on the first day of the sittings of, of each week, on a Tuesday, there's a jury b- panel comes in, um, and they're f- to swear in the jurors for each case. Two juries were sworn in yesterday, but at the start of the list, uh, the court was told that a guilty plea would be entered, and um, this, this person, this man, was subsequently arraigned, and he admitted... Um, recklessly or intentionally causing serious harm to to the 10-week-old baby girl. And do we know how the little girl was injured? No, no details came came out. We only ever hear details about, other than an accused pleading guilty, when the cases are adjourned for sentencing, we only hear about the case at that Mm. stage. So no details have come out about this at all. All we know is that the defence said a a number of reports would be needed um, to prepare their plea of mitigation. And uh, the case was put back for mention on the 30th of April, which is the next sitting. And when Judge Martina Baxter, who's now sitting in trim, she'll be back in Dundalk and she'll go through the list and uh, assign sentencing dates for those kind of cases. Okay, well, we know that it happened two years ago. The little girl at the time was just 10 weeks old. Uh, an awful start to life uh, and some very serious injuries, it, it was seen. Uh, do we know anything about the child's recovery? No, like I said, no details uh, came out. Um, and if we, if we were to report on anything at this stage, it would be prejudicial. Okay, and uh, the man himself, a, a young man, 20 years of age now, uh, obviously 18 at uh, the time of the assault or, or thereabouts. Uh, I take it uh, the child has a young mother as well. Uh, was the child represented in court at all yesterday? Were any of the family in court or anybody else for that matter? There were family members in court, yes. All right, thanks uh, for that, Ruth. Uh, Wednesday morning and the local newspapers are in uh, the shops. Uh, Let's find out what's on uh, the front pages. And Marie Kearns uh, joins us now. Uh, And uh, you've uh, the papers there. What have you got for us, Marie? Well, first to the Royal County and the Meads Chronicle. It's a good news story on the front page of the Chronicle with the revelation that Brunabonia Visitor Centre is to get a €5 million investment. Inside the paper, Michael, on page 20 and 21, reporter Sally Harding has a very very moving feature on how one family's life was shattered when wife and mom Alexandra Filak, who's aged 34, suffered a catastrophic stroke just after the birth of her second child in November 2017, which left her with locked-in syndrome. And this piece details the struggle of the family to cope and how the local communities of Trim and Kildaki have come together to support them. Okay, to Drogheda and uh, the Drogheda leader then, uh, which uh, leads with the Maritime Festival uh, or 
not. Yes, Maritime Festival capsizes is the lead story and as you can, as the headline suggests, it's not good news with the paper reporting that Loud County Council has pulled the funding for this annual festival that goes on in the town every year. The story features a reaction from local councillors including the Mayor Frank Godfrey who describes the move as a slap in the face to the people of Drogheda. Mean, meanwhile for the week that's in it with love in the air tomorrow Michael, the Drogheda leader hit the streets to ask women if Drogheda men are romantic and I have to say some of the replies are hilarious so have a look at that if you want to laugh. Okay well uh, abuse in Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital and uh, the offices of Michael Shine in uh, the town make for the lead of uh, the Drogheda Independent. That's right that's the, the main focus of the front page story in the paper. Also on the page though is an interesting story about a memorial headstone which been, which has been erected on the grave of the notorious highwayman Michael Collier A.K. Collier the robber as people would know him locally and located in the Cord Cemetery uh, Mayor Frank Godfrey told the Drogheda Independent that he feels it's a fitting way to remember someone who became synonymous with local folklore and revealed that he's planning an official ceremony to mark the event. Okay and uh, we go to Dundalk uh, three papers one story. Yes they're all leading with the same story this week and I suppose it's because of the opportunities that hopefully this might bring to the area and that's of course the launch of the M1 Corridor Project which happened on Monday and which we covered also extensively on the show. Uh, inside the Dundalk Democrat on page 7 is a story by Tia Clark about Corona Tansy, a 26-year-old 20, teacher at Kilcurley National School who's become an ambassador for Asthma Ireland and now leads a group of students in the school who are helping to raise, raise awareness about the condition. If you're a fan of Dundalk FC, it's definitely worth your while getting a copy of the Argus as they have a special supplement inside marking a new dawn for the club and sticking with sport, the Dundalk leader reports that Amy Broadhurst enjoyed more success last weekend when she took home gold at the Golden Girl Tournament in Sweden. So well done to her. All right, very well done. And uh, thanks uh, for that, Marie. Some interesting stories making uh, for the headlines uh, that are on the front pages of the local papers uh, this week. You might want to make comment on those stories uh, yourself or something else you've been hearing or if uh, there's an issue that you'd like to raise with us, as always, we'd love to hear from you and you'll be back in a few minutes Marie as well with uh, some of those comments if uh, people do take the time to ring or text as the case may be and our telephone number 1850 Michael Reed on LMFM Michael Brennan the political editor of uh, the Sunday Business Post uh, joins us now good morning to you Michael and uh, thanks for taking some time to be with us there's a, a lot of time 80 minutes as we've been hearing in fact set aside for opposition TDs to ask questions of uh, the Minister for Health Simon Harris about uh, the overrun in uh, the cost of uh, delivering uh, the National Children's Hospital this evening. Uh, what questions are there for the Minister at this stage? To be honest, Michael, at this stage, it's sort of the opposition have him on the ropes and they're pummeling him with, with a lot of the same issues that have been around for the last week or two. Uh, why did he not tell the Minister of Finance, Pascal Donoghue, when he knew last August that there was a substantial cost overrun? Why did he wait till November why did he go ahead with the project rather than pause it and look at options of, of relocation or, or retendering the project to someone else? So there's quite a lot of repetition and mm. it is becoming a bit like a broken record on both sides uh, at the moment from the opposition and the government. And what did you make of uh, the minister's apology yesterday? Because... 
the minister apologised uh, for not saying uh, that uh, the costs hadn't been finalised, but the minister didn't make uh, any mention of the fact that he knew that the cost would be at least £191 million over what had been budgeted for the hospital. I, I calculated watching Simon Harris and the doll uh, just before his apology, Sinn Féin Mary Lou MacDonald had laid into him and accused him of incompetent and arrogant. And you could see him wincing the expression on his face as, as sort of this barrage of insults came at him. I think he made a very limited apology, calculating that if he admitted more guilt, then he might make himself even more vulnerable. So he admitted the bare minimum and effectively that was the pound of flesh for Fianna Fáil. They wanted some contrition from them and uh, they, they got that on, a, on a, quite a very limited level. But they are easily pleased, aren't they? Because uh, the minister told Barry Cowan in September that the project was on track. He knew that it was at least €191 million Euro over budget. He was advised at the time that it could run to €391 million Euro over budget. It turns out it's €450 million Euro over budget. And the minister's apology yesterday was because he didn't say that the costs had, hadn't been finalised. That's right. It's, I saw two things on that, Michael. One is, unfortunately, we, we know now and have for some time that the responses TDs like Barry Cowan get when they put in a parliamentary question are, are half answers at best. They, they should, by, by the rules, tell the full truth, but often they're very evasive and, and the government have got caught out on this there. The second is the, the joke in Fianna Fáil is that uh, Simon Harris might make it up to Barry Cowan by sending him a box of roses or something <laughs> as well just to make up for the, right, the yeah. limited apology. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and uh, might Barry Cowan send a, a box of roses to John McGuinness or the other way around uh, because Barry, or Barry Cowan had a, a, a bit of a, a fallout it would seem at uh, the meeting of the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party meeting last night. Fianna Fáil is saying all along they're not going to support Sinn Féin's motion of no confidence in Simon Harris because that would force a, a general election. John McGuinness has been vocal about his opposition to the confidence and supply agreement uh, and how Fianna Fáil are really just uh, backbenchers for Fine Gael. Uh, but uh, there was a, 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 a showdown on all of this last night, it seems. Yeah, I think to continue the rose uh, joke, uh, he'd offer him the rose with the thorns and the stem to, to grasp if he was handed over to John McGuinness. I think Barry Cowan, you're seeing, he's someone who gets on well with Mial Martin, the party leader. Mial Martin thinks highly of him. And of course, if Fianna Fáil do manage to get back into government, you can certainly say Barry Cowan is one of the people who is in line to be a minister. And John McGuinness is certainly not in line to be anything at all. So you, you can see Barry Cowan effectively telling critics like John McGuinness to basically pipe down, don't be undermining the party because we're under enough pressure as it is by propping up Fine Gael and we don't want our own lot criticising us as well. So I think, I think there's a bit of that, a, a sort of trying to, to rally the troops and quell the dissent. And, and Barry is speaking for himself, but certainly he would be speaking for the way Michal Martin thinks as well. Has Sinn Féin got a, a, an argument uh, in saying that uh, you don't have to force a general election to remove a minister? I, I don't actually believe that. I, I can see why Sinn Féin are doing this. 
classic opposition tactics. Fine Gael did it themselves when they were in, in opposition. They moved multiple motions of no confidence against Mary Harney and so on. So Sinn Féin, you know, talking about moving one in Simon Harris is, is standard practice. But the reality is we've had a several ministerial departures from this government, including one where Fianna Fáil effectively threatened to vote out Frances Fitzgerald and she resigned before she went. So if they were to go after Simon Harris again, I think even Brexit notwithstanding, you see the collapse of the government. It just couldn't it couldn't take another one. And under their deal, they're effectively not allowed to demand the head of a minister and, and vote no conference in them. So that that's sort of the, the, the delicate balance there. That is the, uh, the balance, as you say, but there is uh, the other side of uh, the coin that there shouldn't be any surprises for Fianna Fáil under the Confidence and Supply Agreement. And uh, I think everybody has been very surprised to ask uh, this €450 million Euro overrun. Absolutely. And I think uh, Mary Lou MacDonald, the Sinn Féin, picked up on that uh, yesterday in Leader's question. She said uh, we knew that Fianna Fáil were in getting extensive briefings for the renegotiation of the Confidence Supply Deal and yet they were never told about this huge overrun. And you could see the, the Fianna Fáil benches just uh, reacting a little bit to that because she, she hit the nail on the head. They were they were duped. So it, it's an embarrassing position for Fianna Fáil, but they've laid out their stall. As long as the Brexit talks are ongoing, they're going to stick this one through. And I would say it's still the, 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 the party that comes of worst of this is terrible couple of weeks for them in terms of their their economic competence, their management of projects and even the nursing pay deal, which they, they said they would never find any extra money, but they have. So I think it's really bad for Fine Gael and you know, that will benefit Fine Gael to some extent, even if they get criticised for propping up the government. Yeah, in fact, uh, I see a number of letters in the papers uh, this morning uh, about uh, a new building Intel is planning to build and how everybody expects that will come in on time and on target. That's right. Actually, uh, I was talking last week to Tom Began, who's the former uh, uh, head of the Health Safety Authority, and he specifically mentioned that project as well. There'll be about, I think, 3,500 workers uh, involved in it and the expectation is that Intel are going to be going around effectively men and women marking every person on the site to see what they're doing, when they're doing it, recording it, and they will not tolerate any cost overruns. And if any contractor involved does it, I think you can be sure they'll never get a job with Intel again. So that, that's the standard that, that, uh, that private sector... <laughs> building mm. projects seem to be held to. Yeah, and that's uh, the level of competence uh, that people are looking at and comparing that to what I think a lot of people are feeling is a level of incompetence in handling public money, our money, the money we get out of bed every morning to go to work for to end up paying in taxes as the case may be. If it's a bad week or a bad number of weeks for Fine Gael, how is it playing out for the other political parties? Uh, I, I, th- I think we'll know maybe in the next round of opinion polls uh, how how it goes, but but certainly you know th- this is a body blow for the government, and it's a good it's a good time for the opposition. I think the opposition in some way are tapping into a national feeling that we were better than this. That effectively after after all the improvements in technology and the improvements in education in the country and the more skilled people we have now. 
that we wouldn't be back where we were 20 years ago with huge cost overruns. Mm. But, so it's a, it's a bit of a national, a national shame that this big flagship project has, has gone so wrong for us on the, on the cost level anyway. All right, uh, and uh, the big talking point today is saving that €100 million Euro this year. €450 will have to be saved over a, a number of years. Uh, but uh, whilst the opposition parties were lining up in support of uh, the nurses' strike, uh, do you think uh, that they'll be surprised today to learn that the cost of meeting the pay demands will be €35 million, Euro, uh, that the teachers are lining up behind the nurses, uh, the guards are lining up behind them, uh, and undoubtedly there's soldiers sleeping in cars last night who were saying, well, maybe we'll get in line as well. Yeah, like you mentioned, the soldiers, that is the next uh, pay deal because the the Public Sector Pay Commission has been examining their case and they have a lot of grievances. And uh, I think you will see a recommendation there for for certainly more money or allowances for them. There will undoubtedly be unions agitating and unions under huge pressure from their own members to match what the nurses have got. But there's perhaps one cautionary tale which is the nurses have shown they have enormous power that effectively when they put it up to the government, the government blinked and and couldn't cope with the, the scale of the challenge. Can other other public sector unions do that? They, they're, the guards we know can do it because they have done it. The nurses have done it. I'm not sure if if other groups would, would be capable of, of getting that same impact because the government will will say again there's no money, but this time there really won't be that much money. Mm. But if it is a breach of the public service pay agreement, what does it mean in terms of uh, the exchequer? It, it, is, it, is, it is a very difficult one. You, they effectively have to find now next year 30 million or so uh, to, to add on to the public sector pay bill. They also have to cope with any demands for knock-on pay claims. But it, it all depends on what happens in the next month mm. with the Brexit negotiations. If that goes wrong, then then the, the, the chance for any other union to get in a pay claim is gone. So the, the nurses have, it, it looks like now, timed it well and have secured their, their deal, as long as, of course, they, they vote it through when, they, when the, the uh, nurses union. Okay, but if the other unions, regardless of Brexit or anything else, say we want equality, could we be looking at an overall bill of three hundred million? I I think the one thing that that the union will be wary of is that they will they will try and fast forward the pay deal if they can to go back and reopen it. But the government will then threaten: look, if you if you want to do that, then the whole pay deal might go, and and they don't want to miss out on that. So. I think I think there's a there's a there's a there's, there's two competing forces there, and it's just not clear at the moment how it'll play out. But I don't think I don't think it's going to be as just nur- putting in pay claims and getting the money. I think they they would have to stage similar disruption to the nurses to to try and advance it. All right, challenging times, interesting times, uh, and indeed, undoubtedly, an interesting day ahead of us in the Dáil as well. Thanks for joining us in advance of uh, today's many repeated questions, or perhaps uh, we'll uh, find uh, some new questions being posed today. But thanks, as I say, for joining us. Michael Brennan is political editor with the Sunday Business Post. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have come to us uh, this morning. Welcome back, Marie. 
Thanks, Michael. Martin was in touch and Martin says the overspend on the children's hospital was under Simon Harris's watch. So Simon must take the blame. It doesn't matter what what went on before. If that was a project leader and a job in the private sector, do you think, Michael, he'd still be in the job? That's the question. Mm. Nula phoned in and she she wasn't impressed with Simon Harris's apology yesterday and she wonders Michael what you thought of it he th- she thought that he'd be more sorry if you like but felt that he kind of the apology was was she didn't feel was sincere mm. <laughs> oh I'm sure it was sincere it was limited uh, the minister was apologetic because he hadn't indicated that the costs hadn't been finalized and that's what he yes. was uh, apologising for. Uh, he wasn't apologising for not saying uh, that it was at least €191 million euro over budget and that he'd been told it might be €390 million over budget. Uh, and he was making his apology in the context of it being €450 million euro over budget. Tracy mailed in and she says, if the overrun in the cost of the children's hospital at James's is because of its inaccessibility for construction purposes, then it will remain inaccessible for its function and that will be a travesty. Why are we continuing with building the most expensive hospital in the world in a place that will not be accessible? Traffic studies prove that it will not be accessible for most patients already exist and moreover parking for staff and families would be an absolute nightmare. How can we continue with such madness? Planning and moving construction to the very accessible Connolly site would reduce cost and time to complete and be an eminently superior site with room for a new maternity hospital that cannot fit at St James's. How many children must die before we recognise that James's choice was a grave mistake? Okay, well I think we'll be hearing that until uh, the doors open. Tony from Mm. County Louth. Michael, unsurprisingly, Sinn Féin will always follow the populist option with an eye in the next election, but fails to explain where the cost might come from on a day where we are left looking at £100 a year for the hospital overrun. Uh, Deputy Munster would advocate the full nurse's claim. For a few days last week, I thought that the government was going to hold the line on a very important agreement which was signed up by the nurses but just like Bertie and others before at the first sign of a few days of strike it's gone completely just like the overgenerous Garda settlement. Mm. All right. Uh, well Imelda Munster did say uh, that they would uh, take various steps in terms of raising revenue including a higher rate of income tax and uh, making sure that corporation tax was paid and that they would look for the money from Apple and so on uh, and that would pay for some of uh, these issues but let's talk about an- Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ The future isn't scary not realizing its potential however could be Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, 
things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Another issue of huge importance and the housing and homelessness crisis. Uh, some of this be held in Dublin today. Uh, the minister meeting local authorities once again to look at how efforts to solve all of this are being implemented and in the meanwhile uh, the government is uh, talking about uh, refusing uh, or taking people off the waiting list uh, for a period of five years if uh, they refuse two offers of social housing. Uh, It's uh, a remarkable thing I I suppose to some of us to think uh, that uh, people might be in a homeless situation and return or turn down an offer of housing and then uh, on a second occasion turn down uh, the offer of somewhere to live. Let's talk about this uh, with Nick Killian, who's an independent councillor in Mead. Good morning, Nick, and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, Morning, Michael. How commonplace is this and why do people turn down housing offers? Yes, it it does happen. In fact, in Mead at the present time, um, if if you refuse the, the, the third time, you're off the list for a year. Now, that may be amended to the two years. I, I, think, I think there's something, a circular has come down about that. Look, people do it for lots and lots of reasons. A, w- w- one reason, uh, and I'll get it out of the way first, mm. some people don't want to live in what they call um, county council housing estates. There's a snobbishness thing. And they hold off and hold off in the, and hold off hoping that they'll get a new house in a brand new estate under the Park 5. That's one that happens. Mm. And, and that's something that I've no, obviously no time for at all. And I get quite cross when people turn down houses on that basis. Mm. Well, people the will, won't they? I mean, if you take a look at the drugs feud in Drogheda, and I don't like naming anywhere, but Moneymore has uh, been uh, uh, housing a estate uh, that has earned a very bad reputation across the country, uh, people would be afraid to move in there, they'd be afraid for themselves, afraid for their children, afraid of intimidation, afraid of violence, afraid of having petrol bombs thrown through their windows and uh, afraid of how their children might grow up as a, a result of all of that. Is that a reason for turning down housing? It's not in my estimation for the simple reason that the vast majority of people in housing estates leave ordinary good living lives and you have unfortunately a small minority in the states we have them all you know we have them right around the country and indeed within our own county where a couple of people make it uh, very uneasy and you know estates go through phases Mm. and then they quieten down Mm. but coming on to the the other issues first of all um I don't have a difficulty with the two, uh, the second refusal, and you're off the list then for a year. Five years is too arbitrary. Goodness knows. Like the impact on a family, we've got to think of the families, about people. See, Mm. the one thing we lose at times here is that this is about people. But do you need a house if you can afford to turn down a house? Well, you, you know, people turn down houses for various reasons and sometimes very genuine reasons. One, for example, is education and the actual age of the family. If you look at a situation where your children are in post-primary and in primary education mm. and you're being asked to go, you know, maybe 10, 15 miles away to another town uh, or another village where the education facilities that you have okay, but where are not that available. Happen? Where does that Well, happen? it happens. It happens. It happens from, from Ashburn to Dunshockland. It happens from Rathoth to... Um, you see, it's, it comes down to a transport issue as mm. well in situations like that. And to me, taking a family away from where their basic education facilities are, um, to me, 
I can understand why they do it. I understand why they will turn it down. Sometimes it's for very good family reasons where parents are, are ill and they're li- they want to stay in the village to be next to the parents. There are many good reasons why people turn down health. Mm. But there are also, as you, as, as you, you know, as I pointed out earlier, there's situations where people just don't want to take the house because it's in a certain particular estate. Mm, or it's not you know, big I, enough I, or it doesn't have a utility room or it doesn't have a, a playroom yeah. or it doesn't have a side well, entrance. To be fair, I, I mean, I've been in a house recently mm. that Mead County Council has mm. um, refurbished and it's absolutely excellent in, in relation from the point the standard has come right up from a bare rating point of view. So all our houses now are uh, a lot better, uh, you know, laid out and refurbished and everything like that. Mm. But the other worry that I have um, is the government making an arbitrary decision of five years because the impact on a family, you know, if you have two or three children um, that, and, and they're off the housing list, it's also going to cost the state a lot more money mm. because these people, the way the housing situation is, with the building is going, they'll still be on a housing assistance payment. With the, the, the availability of rented accommodation, as we've talked ad nauseum, which are set, which are good self Michael over the years, we know how it is. There's nothing there. So, to me, um, I don't have a difficulty because what happens is when you come off the housing list, once you refuse, if you refuse your second, you go to the very bottom of the housing list and you're starting all over again. So, in some ways, you're actually you'll be five years maybe before you are housed. Mm. But to put a five-year and then put the person back on the housing list, that doesn't make sense. In fact, there's no common sense to that decision being made. And I would be extremely angry if the government pursue uh, a five-year... Because it's like a prison sentence. That's basically what it is. It's an arbitrary sentence on a family. And I would have great difficulty with that. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thanks uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Independent Councillor Nick Killian. Now let's go back uh, to some more of uh, the thoughts that you've been sharing with us. Uh, Marie, you have more comments there. Yes, Michael, mm. we have a couple in in relation to that discussion there. Mm. I'm being penalised if you turn down a council house twice. Lenny says the right to refuse a house should be linked to the property and location. There's no point putting people into unsuitable homes and if there is antisocial behaviour in the local area, then a person shouldn't be penalised for declining to live there. Laura says that families living in hotels would be glad to take a house no matter where that house was. Raymond says I don't know many who would turn down a house. Don't fall into the trap the government are making people believe that often houses are turned down. Mm. So that's just a couple in already and I'm sure there'll be more during the course of the morning. Just going back to the nurses and the situation regards to the offer on the table at the moment. Uh, Jim from Drogheda says that the nurses don't seem to be happy with, with what Uh, the government is offering but I think they should seriously consider what is on the table because if they go on strike again I don't think there will be the same support says Jim David from Dundalk the nurses are not getting much out of this deal some of them will only get 20 euro extra a week Yet this could result in other public sector workers putting in for a claim. Where is all the money going to come from? Yeah, wants well, to know. I think 76% of people polled have said that they would support uh, another nurse's strike. OK, well, we'll finish on that one from David. OK, all right. Uh, thanks uh, for that, David. Thanks, uh, Marie, for that matter and everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you and our telephone number 1850 715 958. 
Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now, Fianna Fáil, TD for Louth, uh, Declan Brannock uh, joins us to tell us why his party is satisfied uh, with Minister Simon Harris's uh, apology to the Dáil yesterday. Good morning to you and thanks uh, for doing so. I understand, though, you've uh, some issue with what Imelda Munster had to say about the A5 earlier. Yeah, just uh, initially to correct, um, she didn't deal with the issue at all, uh, along with it being obviously... Uh, the money of 27 million been withdrawn for us. The reason uh, that this project is not going ahead is because the assembly is not up and running, and it needs to be passed by the assembly. Uh, the collective money from both uh, uh, the northern executive uh, and the monies from that have now been withdrawn from the south. I think it's disingenuous not to have indicated that. All right, so it's a political point about uh, Sinn Fein and uh, well, Northern Ireland no, because construction of the A5 is already underway, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's planned. Well, uh, there's sections of it obviously yeah. crucial to the northwest corridor. The people of Donegal, the people of Tyrone, indeed, uh, bringing a network into into Monaghan and obviously onto the our very successful M1. Uh, but it certainly uh, has been on the back burner since 2007 and uh, still been stalled as a result of uh, the lack of assembly. Uh, just to move on to what you Well, indicated. with or without the assembly, it wouldn't go ahead because uh, the funding has been uh, withdrawn by the Irish government, €27 million, Euro, uh, and you have confidence in that decision and uh, you've decided to, to supply the government with support to keep Simon Harris in office. Uh, not, not, not correct, Michael. Oh. I think, uh, the issue. I'm certainly, personally, not satisfied with the manner in which he delivered the statement in the Dáil yesterday. I've described it as mealy-mouthed. In fact, the process has been corrected for today because Simon Harris delivered uh, a. a an abject apology to Barry Cowan and rightly so for misleading uh, uh, giving misleading information but he quickly scrambled out of the chamber uh, after delivering that apology and it was clear to all members of the House that there was need for statements uh, and indeed questions to be asked and that would be facilitated today. Incidentally Simon Harris's apology runs for about 45 seconds uh, he or less. He he spent uh, in around uh, three minutes minutes making his statement yesterday. Uh, the section which dealt with the apology runs for about a minute, a minute and uh, there were a lot of interruptions. When you take out the interruptions, uh, he spent about 30 seconds to 45 seconds apologising yesterday. Uh, but Fianna Fáil uh, considers, considers this issue to be closed now. Uh, not at all. I think um, if you if you analyse the various political parties in the Dáil, and I'll deal with Fianna Fáil in one second, uh, that's just what you've said there, but what Simon Harris did and his 45 seconds of apology, that shows the arrogance uh, that is on one side of the House, indeed, that, that are masters of spin and PR, and you know, we, we've all had all this, not just in health, but the health is jackets around housing, uh, talking tough to the nurses, uh, you know, uh, all of that shows that arrogance. Uh, but Fianna Fáil is about finding delivery of the projects, holding the government to account. And in this particular project, I think it's very important for your listeners, and I know there is serious anger out there and there's a feeling that Fianna Fáil are propping up this government. The reality is that we need to be able to hold this government to account in relation to the overruns, in relation to finding out what went wrong. 
the, 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 the idea of uh, votes of, of, of confidence in a minister, in my view, is only creating further instability. It's gimmickry. It's, it's not constructive. Fianna Fáil are about finding constructive solutions to abject mistakes, unbelievable and extraordinary issues around the, around the hospital. But I think your listeners also need to, to be aware that we, we have Sinn Féin who don't want an assembly in the north, they don't want to partic- participate in, in, in the British Parliament, and they want chaos here, so they, they, they want to bring down a government at a time when Brexit is the order of the day, and the people in the border region particularly know the serious implications from that. So you not. stand beside Barry Cowan and against John McGuinness? Uh, uh, look, at, I, I don't. I, I, I'm my own man, and I will make my views known as both John and and uh, 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 John McGuinness and Barry Cowan have at our parliamentary party meeting. That is a private meeting where people express. Well, I'm many, reading many about it. It's views, not that private. I'm reading about it in the uh, Irish Examiner this morning in some detail. Yes, well, that's regular from uh, yeah. all our, par- yeah. uh, our party meetings. But the, re- the reality here is that that is what democracy is about, people having different views and Fianna Fáil ultimately coming up to a consensus. It is the party leader's strong view and the, the, the collective membership of the parliamentary party that we well, I don't think must, Fianna Fáil we is coming to a consensus. John McGuinness was talking about being bullied. Well, look, it's, I mean, people maybe uh, uh, can be sentimental and, and, and feel aggrieved. Intimidated into silence. Well, that's not the case. John makes his view very well known, but I think the important issue... Well, that's because he says he won't be bullied. Well, let, let's not deflect from what the issue here, Michael, is. The issue here is about holding... That Fianna Fáil is at odds out. with itself and is supporting Simon Harris. Do, 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 do... It may be popular to seek heads. It may be popular to uh, look for an election. Uh, you know, the, the proverbial word of, that I'm hearing from a lot of uh, the Fianna Fáil supporters mm. is pull the plug. That would not be doing justice to, the, to, to our economy in a very fragile situation, wouldn't be doing justice to the peace process in the context of, of, of Brexit, and it would not be in the best interest of our industries. Do you believe reality- Simon Harris is competent? Uh, I don't, and I don't have a lot of confidence in, in many of them, uh, indeed, whether it's Owen Murphy or, or Simon Harris. But you believe Owen Murphy is incompetent as well? Uh, I believe that stability in government is required. They're not doing a good job. Fianna Fáil offered mm. themselves on three occasions to form a government. We didn't succeed, and mm. we, we went into a confidence display arrangement. The reality But you is, believe it's in the national interest to leave I, incompetent ministers in office? I, I believe it is in the national interest that the, the main opposition party uh, continue to provide a stable government regardless of the competence of those individuals. I regardless think it, of the it, competence? It, it, yes, that's, it's, a, it's an inevitable... Michael, that's, that's not a list, stable government. You're, it's a, well, it's more stable than the instability that's been offered by Sinn Féin. And could, could I just simply say to you, it's inevitable that, that an election is in the offing. But Micheál Martin was correct in making a decision that in the best interest of this country, that all 
other people across Europe and indeed in Britain are looking for is a chink in the Irish armour. There is no chink, mm. there will be no chink until the Brexit issue is sorted. And trust me when I say to you that if we are in, in a situation of a cliff-edge Brexit, which we could very well be, mm. the people of this country will say that Fianna Fáil have done the right thing by the people. But Fe- we will continue to hold them to account. F- F- Fianna, Fáil, is- Fianna Fáil ended up with egg in its face, didn't it, over Francis Fitzgerald uh, and uh, the comments from Justice Charlton, uh, which seemed to vindicate the position that she took uh, and highlight how... Fianna Fáil looked for a head on a plate and got a head on a plate. Is that what's driving this? Is it that you don't want to make the same mistake twice? Uh, no, I certainly had huge empathy for, for Francis Gerald at the time. Uh, the, the, the key issue here is that there has to be accountability and the only way that we will be able to get to the bottom of the crux of the overrun of up on 65% in, 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 and where ministers were not communicating and where this whole issue of the hospital was actually in the run-in to last year's budget. It, it is just extraordinary and unbelievable that we still are talking and can't get to the bottom of it. Fianna Fáil is about that constructive issue and we will see and, and make, it, make sure that there are no further overruns or indeed that some of the overruns that have been suggested will be reversed. Did Simon Harris mislead the doll when he responded to Barry Cowan last September? Did he mislead the government and Fianna Fáil when you were agreeing on the budget for this year? Did he mislead Fianna Fáil when you decided to extend the confidence and supply agreement? He certainly misled the doll and admitted that himself. I think we're now moving into... I don't think he did. Well, he did. He apologised personally. Well, he he said that he didn't give... uh, Well, I mean... It was very limited. He said he did. He should have given more detail when he said that the costs weren't finalised. He, he he didn't apologise for the fact that he knew it was at least 191 million over budget. There's no question that there was a serious. There has been no serious attempt made by either Pascal Donoghue or indeed by Simon Harris uh, to curtail the escalating costs. No, hold on. Simon Simon Harris didn't admit... Not alone did they mislead the doll. They misled the budgetary process in that they knew about it before last year's budget and didn't inform the doll. Mm. And and it goes back as far as last August when he had the information. We are now being fed... Simon Harris didn't admit. He he knew that it was at least £191 was told it might be 391 million it turns out to be 450 million euro but he, he did not admit to knowing that it was 191 million over budget at least that much uh, nor did he apologize for it and that's okay with Fianna Fáil uh, it's not and the reality for your listeners is we can talk about uh, it reminds me of Michael Noonan talking about billions and billions but the reality here is that the public need to know that the average cost of a bed in the National Children's Hospital is four million. In in any other economy across the world, the same type of facility would be costing one point five yeah. million. We will hold this government to account for those overruns. Indeed, it's 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 absolutely farcical. By asking for an apology and not getting one. Uh, no, we're we're asking for action and the information in relation to what went wrong. But I think it was absolutely incredulous yesterday to hear Pascal Dunhoo talk about a need to review how contracts You're talking about the A5 and the Stormont uh, Assembly and all of that stuff Uh, sure that money wouldn't have been allocated uh, uh, had people known what the situation was and Simon Harris didn't tell anybody and there's no accountability Fianna Fáil is turning a blind eye 
Well, we will be we will be finding out where exactly the overruns will uh, and and what the. Well, you know, we was told last August that there was an overrun of at least 191 million euro. Absolutely, and now they're trying to correct that uh, and have made announcements in relation to both the A5 and the forensic lab. But the minister didn't stand up and say, well, I should have said that. That, that, that is what will be happening this evening in the Dáil, where people will be asking the, 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 the relevant questions and getting rid of this drip feed of what is going on. And it is more important that the person who was at the centre of this is there to account for it than taking his head at this minute in time. That's, that will be for another day when the electorate will ultimately decide whether okay. Fianna Fáil has done the right thing by the country. Okay. Michael, I think, I think the core issue that you have to focus on and your listeners here, that the cuts that were announced yesterday are only 99 million of an overrun of 450 million. Yeah. We're going to see another 100 million next year yeah. and over the next number of years. But what, what the point I was trying to make, which you, you, you interrupted me, was that it is incredible in this day and age that anybody who's listening to this programme this morning who would have built an extension to the house or were lucky enough to be able to build a house would tell you about the need for, for PC sums, uh, the need for, for, for proper accountability in relation to the issue of bills of quantities. This... Di- this did not happen, and it is unbelievable in, it, in the day and age when we hear so much talk about public procurement and, 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 and how it's protected and, 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 and analysed that this was allowed to happen. And to me, these are the issues that we must continue to press Simon Harris on. You know, the easiest thing is to let him off the ropes and let him, let him out the door. It would bring an end to the issue, but it doesn't resolve what went wrong. So you believe the minister is incompetent, but you don't want to take his head. Would it be better if he was gone? Uh, there, there, it may not be just Simon Harris. There seems to be a certain incompetence in relation to procurement and in relation to uh, what has happened in his office. But given, uh, given his incompetence as you regard it, would it be better if he was gone? I, I think we're slowly and inevitably moving towards a general election. I think your listeners know that. I know that. I, I know they want to see one. I am saying to them that, they, that, they, that we have got to act in the national interest, and that are the words you use, Michael, to ensure that the cliff edge doesn't happen, that Brexit is... Would you like to see Simon Harris removed from office? I, I certainly would. I would like to see Fianna Fáil in office, and we would deal with delivery of the programmes, deliver the, a constructive approach as we've held in the Dáil, and not the issue of spin PR and the hay Do you believe the Taoiseach should seek Simon Harris's resignation? Uh, that's a matter, a matter, a matter for the Taoiseach. Uh, your listeners need to be aware that the whole issue of confidence supply uh, means that in in any vote of confidence that would happen, we would be abstaining on okay. the issue, and that is part of the deal to obviously help to provide some stability in government. And I don't think anybody out there will thank Fianna Fáil. They may thank them today, but the the, the agenda will very quickly change when people see the pitfalls that are only 44 days away from us if we cannot get uh, stability in relation to a, a, a conjoint approach by all in the Oireachtas in relation to Brexit. OK, we leave it there. Thank you indeed, as always, for joining us this morning. Declan Brannock, Fianna Fáil TD for Louth. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's talk uh, about uh, the fire at uh, this hotel in Ruski on Monday night. It's uh, the second time the Shannon Key West Hotel was set on fire, it would seem, in less than a month. Uh, Gardaí say they're concerned at the level of determination shown by those who set the fires and that they weren't deterred by the presence of security personnel. The hotel as you know, has been earmarked as a direct provision centre for asylum seekers. Eugene Murphy is a Fianna Fáil TD for Roscommon, Galway, and he's on the line. And good morning to you, and thanks uh, for joining us uh, once again on the programme uh, this morning uh, morning, in relation to this. Uh, It's a a very worrying uh, development, uh, especially given the last fire in January. It is indeed, Mike, and uh, despite the strong opposition from some people in the locality, uh, every one of them would t- uh, totally condemn uh, what uh, was attempted again. Uh, the other nights, they're not happy about it at all. Uh, it doesn't portray Ruski in a very uh, good light, and, uh, you know, Ruski has a, a very friendly atmosphere, always had. And in the, the parish area, there are about 13 different nationalities living, uh, some of them there for over uh, 20 years. They have all blended in well to the local community, get on with the local community, and to go about their daily business. So uh, it is very, very concerning what has happened and has been uh, condemned by all in the locality. Uh, have you any idea of how it happened or who might be involved? Uh, because Gardaí say that it was premeditated, uh, that there was careful planning involved uh, and that whoever was behind this attack uh, must have been watching the hotel for some time, observing and monitoring the movement of uh, the security staff and so on. Well, I have um, listened to Superintendent English make a statement to the media and read about it in some of today's papers as well uh, and he has given uh, quite a lot of detail of apparently what did happen um, there seems now to have been a break-in. Um, but I have questioned security around that hotel uh, for some time. I mean, I have often wondered since the last attack why there wasn't a properly, proper security light outside it. Uh, you don't see the security men outside in, in, in a little hush or whatever. They seem to be inside. Uh, you know, the, the hotel can only be um, entered from the front. or up. So you would, it would appear to me that, um, you know, security wasn't really great there. And on that basis now, because the Department of Justice are involved in trying to bring people here, I feel there should be a 24-hour guard of presence there uh, because we could have had loss of life uh, the other night. We could have had loss of life the last time and there were people in that building, there were security people within the building. And, you know, if the fire on either occasion had taken off, uh, we certainly could be dealing with a different type of interview today. Do you believe that there's an organised gang involved? I don't know, Mike, and I'm not, um, you know, trying to avoid your question. Mm. When I give that answer, this is a very complicated case of situation, and there seems to be a lot of confusion of exactly what's happening with the hotel. Now, look, at I have been very critical of the way the government have handled this uh, because they have never engaged with local community groups or even the politicians even though I sought that. Mm. Now, the, the Department of Justice uh, personnel did go to Mobile and met the people up there. And I think in order to, to have any understanding of this situation, uh, while all local people condemn the type of arson attacks that have been taking place, the government have bungled this very, very badly and have really 
not treat the local people very, very well. And that hasn't helped the situation. But one thing is certain, there's somebody involved, there's somebody behind the scenes doing something here, and it's very dangerous. And I again would say, uh, through the good offices of your show today, that I would appeal to those people, or anybody that knows them, that's involved in this, to stop it now. We don't want any loss of life here. I did suggest some months mm. back to the Justice Minister that there were a number of uh, vacant houses in, 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 in close to the village, very close to the village, and I did suggest that the department would give the monies to Leitrim County Council, even though I'm on the Riscommon side, the hotel is on, on the Leitrim side, and, and that four or five of those houses would be done up, and that the local people would uh, engage very favourably to take four or five of those families in, some of them very unfortunate people, and to look after them for as long as was necessary. You meant- nothing, hap- nothing happened of that, mm-hmm. Mike. And I think really we do need to discuss this matter further before anybody is moved in to the centre. Mm. It does seem that a hotel becomes a- a- available and somebody says, oh, well, we could make that into a, a direct provision centre without thinking about the consequences or, or planning properly for it. Uh, you mentioned Moville, uh, and uh, that's because uh, this is uh, the third fire of its sort. Uh, a hotel uh, which was earmarked uh, for asylum seekers in County Donegal was set on fire in November and twice now in Ruskiat. Uh, the Shannon Key West Hotel, uh, the second fire, as we're discussing now on Monday. But it is a curious question, isn't it, as to whether an organised gang is involved because somebody is very determined, premeditated, carefully planning and so on, according to the guards. Uh, This wasn't done uh, on a whim, quite obviously, and when it was done for a second time. And given what most people would feel would be a a challenging situation with security personnel uh, in situ, uh, for somebody to do this, uh, it's probable that it, it was a, a gang of some sorts. And if it was a, a gang, well, there was no potential gain. So what kind of a, a gang was it? Was it politically motivated? Was it motivated on grounds of racism? And if so, what kind of a, a gang is it? Well, I, I can't answer that. But I do know one thing from the people who some of them who have very strong views at the way this has been, been handled would never involve themselves or, or wouldn't be, you know, any way associated with this type of attack. But you are right. I mean, to think that those people, you know, drove up to that hotel. And remember now, Mike, just to give you the geography mm. of the area, there are two pubs next door to it. Mm. Uh, the, the bridge, you just cross the bridge at the hotel. On the other side of the bridge, and you can quite clearly see it, is a major supermarket. And there is quite a lot of traffic back and forth uh, through that area. But these people actually, and you're right when you say, they actually went up to the front of the hotel. They obviously, according to Superintendent Nish, uh, gained access. They, they broke windows and hurled, apparently, some type of um, um, inflammable uh, instrument into the hotel. Now, that, you know, when you think about it, that is extraordinary that they are so brazen about this. And it doesn't help anybody in this situation that this is going on. And as I said, it does need further investigation. Mm. But I do think we do, we do need now uh, increased security there until this matter is sorted out once and for all. And you don't think they're locals, do you? I mean, you seem to feel that locals wouldn't have done this. None of the locals would. Well, personally, I mm. personally I don't. Personally, I don't think they're local people. Um, there's a lot of confusion around the hotel and what's happening. And uh, I, I mean, any of the people I've spoken to, mm. I, mean, I, I would know the village very well and I would know the people very well. I've been out of most of their houses for the past 20 years. But uh, none of them, even them with the most strongest views, would condone this type of behaviour mm. and certainly uh, wouldn't be, you know, supportive of anybody that would be doing it. It makes it all it, the it, more sinister, though, doesn't it? It does. 
Absolutely, I fully agree with you. It, 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 it is quite sinister. There's no doubt about that at all. Mm. And that it's quite possibly some right-wing gang uh, who have gone out of their way and organised themselves not just to oppose this, but to attack it. Well, again, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I haven't uh, any update today on where the Gardaí have gone with this or have they any more information or have they any more leads on it. But uh, we have to wait and see where the Gardaí investigation will go now and I would hope that there would be a breakthrough of that and that, you know, whoever is, is responsible for this is, is going to be, you know, um, I mean, brought to justice if they can because this is no way to handle uh, the, the difficulty that's there, no way whatsoever. And I can speak clearly for the people of Ruski and the surrounding areas. As I said, those that have the most, you know, the most strongest views mm. against the centre going there uh, would not in any way engage in this type of behaviour. Absolutely. Uh, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you indeed, though, for Thanks, joining Mike. us this morning. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, that's uh, Fianna Fáil TD for Roscommon Galway, Eugene Murphy. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, the issue of uh, Brexit uh, continues uh, to be of uh, concern and indeed uh, topic of uh, discussion around water coolers, kitchen tables, pubs and bars. Now, barstool expertise perhaps should be taken with a grain of salt, but when uh, the person pontificating from uh, the barstool is uh, the British Prime Minister's chief EU advisor, well, then it makes for news. And indeed, ITV News reported on what Ollie Robbins was heard say in a pub in Brussels and that if MPs didn't vote in favour of Mrs May's deal, then there could be a very long delay. Let's talk about this and where all of this is going from here with Marion Harkin, who's an independent member of the European Parliament. Good morning to you and thanks for joining us. Uh, Do you believe uh, there's any truth in what Mr Robbins is reported to have said? Well, I suppose, Michael, between people being picked up on on microphones that they thought were switched off or sitting on bar stools, sometimes that's where you hear more of the truth than when people are actually in front of the microphone. So, look, I don't know whether that's hearsay. I don't know who heard mm. it. So we have to take it with a pinch of salt. But I think uh, that might be the case. But you see, Michael, I think at this stage, especially when it comes to British politicians, people are telling their own stories, spinning, I, th- I suppose it's what we call it. Um, so to, to sometimes confuse, uh, sometimes there's no truth in it. it. This is a very high stakes game of poker. Unfortunately, it's got to that stage now. It's about keeping the unity of the Conservative Party number one. And number two, it's about dealing with Brexit. And those two things, um, you you just wonder what common ground there is. Mm. And I think that's really where we're at at the moment. It's not a good place to be, Michael. All right. Well, I suppose uh, it should be taken with a a grain of salt. But if we can talk about what Mr. Robbins had to say for uh, another moment or or two, because uh, there's a lot of concern, I think, uh, amongst Tories about his thoughts on the backstop. The backstop is, of course, uh, to make sure that there's no border on the island of Ireland. Uh, Mr. Robbins was saying, well, it's not really anything to do with that. It's uh, to maintain a bridge with uh, Europe, uh, a bridge between the UK and Europe, a trading bridge, uh, and uh, that this is a way uh, it's being interpreted, at least, of keeping Britain in the customs union. So the whole Brexit thing is a farce, if there's any truth in that. 
Well, the the issue partly for the EU, of course, Michael, is that they don't want that. They don't want a backdoor into the uh, EU uh, from the UK. And this was, if you like, a concession uh, in order to deal with the Irish border. The truth is, nobody wants it. The UK doesn't want it because it does keep them tied to the EU um, certainly, um, and the EU doesn't want it. Uh, So that then depends on a comprehensive trade deal. But again, you know, the spinning in all of this, how long will a comprehensive trade deal take? At one level, because they're already part of the system, uh, it shouldn't take that long. But at another level, the politics of this will be hugely controversial. Just a simple thing, Michael, like fishing rights, and all of that. I won't go into the detail, but, mm. you know, some of your listeners will be very interested in that. That The political aspects of a new trade deal will be very difficult. So until we have that comprehensive trade deal in place, then the backstop is needed as an insurance policy. And the good thing, the good news for Ireland is the EU is holding fast on that. There are some politicians in the UK who still believe the EU will blink, they'll give way, but they just cannot. There may be some sort of political declaration, but Barnier has made it clear there will be no opening of the withdrawal agreement. And that means no change in the text on the backstop. Well, there's certainly no sign of any change. Uh, Mrs May gave an update to MPs in the House of Commons yesterday, but uh, no change in terms of where the United Kingdom stands in that update. No, except she puts her three propositions, none of which, well, one of them might have some small chance, but uh, to be honest, Michael, I think what Mrs May is doing is this. I think she will try her best to get some sort of a political declaration on the backstop. In other words, mm. that nobody nobody wants it and that it's only a last resort and that um, she'll try to get some political statement. It won't have a legal basis, but it might be enough to bring some of those who voted against it uh, with her uh, to support her in in the first place. She might get some Conservatives to support it because they'll be with their backs to the wall looking at, right, accepting this with a political declaration or perhaps pushing back Brexit, indefinitely no Brexit, etc. She also hopes to split the Labour Party and to get a number of Labour leavers. She's giving them uh, certain goodies, as it were, uh, promises of uh, employment rights and investment in different constituencies so that they can go back to their voters and say, look, in the interest of this constituency, I voted with the government. And finally, I believe the leader of the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, would be happy to see that because it would allow Brexit to take place without his fingerprints on it. And I believe Jeremy Corbyn wants Brexit. So, you know, that's, I think, where we are at the moment. Mm. Get enough of her own to change their mind, not all of them. 
get some from Labour and just hope that the numbers add up. I think that's her plan. If it doesn't work, and that they add up because they've no choice. They have their backs to the wall, as you put it. You agree with uh, Jeremy Corbyn, uh, I gather, in that sense, uh, because he's saying that she's playing a game of chicken. Oh, she is. She's playing a game of chicken. And um, I think many uh, British politicians will say, oh, the EU will blink. Well, the EU has said time and time again, it won't blink. They give them a political declaration, but it will not reopen the withdrawal agreement. It won't change a word in it. But the game of chicken that she's playing is with the House of Commons. It's with splitting Labour, buying off some of them, um, and going far enough that they can live with it. And as I said, mm. I believe this would suit Jeremy Corbyn because remember there was a, a study or they did some analysis recently that showed that if Labour supported Brexit they would lose up to 45 seats. Now Corbyn supports Brexit. I think he, he wants to start the revolution afterwards basically. Um, he's entitled to his political views but I think that's what he wants to do. But he doesn't want his fingerprints on it. So if Labour don't support as a party, but some of them break ranks, then Theresa May might just get her deal through and Jeremy Corbyn, you know, like Pontius Pilate, can wash his hands. It's a sad state of affairs and I'm speaking bluntly, but I think that's where we are, Michael. Okay, uh, which uh, is no clearer really, is it? Uh, and no. You'd want a crystal ball at this stage as close as we are uh, to the deadline. But we'll leave it there for the moment and thank you indeed uh, for that insight and for joining us uh, this morning. That's independent member of the European Parliament, Marion Harkin, who brings our programme to its conclusion today. Our time has run out on us once again. Remember before we go that as always there'll be a podcast of today's programme available on our website lmfm.ie. The afternoon. Thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching and Chris Marie in the Control Tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie 